Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. Welcome to this week's Core Concepts brought to you by the EM Guidewire team from the Carolinas Medical Center Emergency Medicine Group. Today we have a couple of residents here. I'm Natalie Wood. Katie Lupez. And I'm Russell Tregonis. This week's installment is sponsored by... Bubbles. Bubbles. When you find yourself being more distracted by the bubbles than the child they are meant for. Bubbles. Now let's get on with the show. This week, we have a great opportunity to hear Dr. Katie Lupez discuss asymptomatic hypertension. Dr. Lupez, welcome to EM Guidewire. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about asymptomatic hypertension in the emergency department. And I know what you're thinking. Asymptomatic hypertension? Really? That doesn't sound like an emergency. And you're right. It isn't technically an emergency, but it is something we encounter every shift in the ED, and hopefully we can equip you today to be a part of preventing the many emergencies hypertension can lead to. Exactly. These patients are ticking time bombs. They can walk around for months or even years at high blood pressures, eventually causing end organ damage. And they present to our emergency department with ACS, flash pulmonary edema, intracerebral hemorrhage, and end-stage renal disease requiring dialysis. Leading to a whopping $47 billion in healthcare costs a year in the U.S. alone. Now what if I told you that asymptomatic hypertension might affect your personal income too? With the new Marca bill that just started in January 2017, reporting of certain quality measures have now become mandatory for the emergency medicine physician. Most physicians are reporting with their group and need to report on six quality measures. One of those options includes screening and management of asymptomatic hypertension in the emergency department. Per ASAP, reimbursement bonuses based on these quality measures could be up to 5% back in your pocket. Also, there may be up to a 10% penalty if we don't address these quality measures. All in all, addressing asymptomatic hypertension is important for our patients, for our economy, and even for our own personal finances. So Katie, how do we define asymptomatic hypertension? Good question. Hypertension in medical school felt super confusing, including memorizing a whole bunch of different numbers for what was pre-hypertension, stage one, stage two, etc. Thankfully, they revamped all of that with JNC-8 in 2014 and made it a lot more simple. So the JNC breaks it down into a few different categories, but the take-home point is that the cutoff diastolic is the same for everyone, and the systolic changes slightly for the elderly. For those less than 60 years old, target blood pressure is below 140 over 90. For those greater than 60, target blood pressure is below 150 over 90. Exactly. So our target diastolic blood pressure is always below 90, and then we've got a little bit of leeway with our elderly at a target systolic of 150, as opposed to our younger population with a systolic goal of 140. Correct. And if the patient has documented blood pressures higher than these cutoff values on greater than two occasions, then they have hypertension. No more categories. It's just called hypertension. I'm definitely glad they got rid of all those stages. In the ED, what we really need to differentiate between is whether they are having a current hypertensive emergency or whether this is truly asymptomatic hypertension. Hypertensive emergency equals hypertension with target organ dysfunction. Ruling this out starts with a good review of systems and ends with a good exam. Nothing more than that needs to occur. Make sure that your patient is not having active chest pain, shortness of breath with hypoxia, neurologic deficits, signs and symptoms of aortic dissection, or anuria. Being pregnant isn't target organ dysfunction, but will definitely change your management of a hypertensive patient. So make sure you find out if your patient is pregnant. Also, just want to do some myth busting. Headache isn't actually a hypertensive emergency, no matter how high the blood pressure is. 
Caveat, as long as you're not concerned for SAH or intracranial bleed. True, and same goes for nosebleeds. It's not considered target organ dysfunction and therefore not a hypertensive emergency. The epistaxis may be worse because the blood flow is higher. I know what you're all thinking. Why are we even talking about asymptomatic hypertension in the emergency department? Can we really even screen for asymptomatic hypertension in the emergency department? Aren't our patients in pain? Aren't our patients anxious? Thankfully, there is data addressing this with multiple studies showing that hypertension in the ED actually correlates with hypertension in the ambulatory setting, even despite any pain or anxiety our patients might be experiencing. Studies have shown that the most accurate correlation to ambulatory blood pressure occurs at the 60-minute mark in the ED. So make sure if your initial vital signs show hypertension, get a repeat blood pressure around an hour later. And if it's still elevated, this likely means they are having hypertension on an everyday basis that needs to be addressed. So what do we do in the ED? Nothing. Seriously, nothing. Yep. Although previously it was felt that getting baseline lab values like creatinine were necessary, ASEP guidelines for this patient population include a good review of systems, history, and exam to identify any target organ dysfunction with no other lab values or workup necessary. So what do we do then? Number one, two, and three in management is going to be follow-up, follow-up, and more follow-up. Use whatever mechanism your department has to get these people seen in a reasonable amount of time. Also, use the time you do have with the patient. Spending five minutes making sure that this patient is aware that they have hypertension. Give a brief explanation of what this means and the high risks that are at stake. And then give them a few ways that they can treat this on their own, such as dietary changes, weight loss, exercise, and medication compliance. And then the decision has to be made about starting antihypertensives from the emergency department. Not everyone is doing this, but it really can jumpstart the care on these patients. There even is some preliminary data out there showing that it is safe and effective. Let's talk about the nitty-gritty. You've got three options as first-line treatment for asymptomatic hypertension. Calcium channel blockers, thiazides, and ACE inhibitors. Thiazides work directly on the distal convoluted tubule sodium fluoride channel. Side effects include hypokalemia and metabolic alkalosis. Calcium channel blockers cause direct vasodilatation. Side effects include bradycardia, constipation, and peripheral edema. ACE inhibitors are a little more complicated, but essentially block angiotensin II, causing direct vasodilation and acts on the renal tubular system. Side effects include dry cough, angioedema, and electrolyte disturbances, including hyperkalemia. Additionally, ACE inhibitors preferentially dilate the efferent arterial of the glomerulus, and this can lead to decreased GFR even more than just bringing down the blood pressure does. Therefore, ACE inhibitors are contraindicated in those with chronic kidney injury. Additionally, the literature has shown that ACE inhibitors should not be used as first line in African American or the black population, so choose one of your other two options if your patient is black. So in summary, three medications to consider. Calcium channel blockers like amlodipine, 5 milligrams daily. No workup is needed before I start this. Thiazides, hydrochlorothiazide, 12.5 milligrams. Electrolyte panel check is required one week after initiation. And finally, ACE inhibitors like 10 milligrams of lisinopril. You do need to check electrolytes and creatinine both before and after initiation. In addition, don't use these in your black patients or those with chronic kidney injuries. Thanks again for your insight, Dr. Lupez. From the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studios here in Charlotte, North Carolina, this is E.M. Godwire. Thanks for listening to E.M. Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! CMC out!